Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Realty Speak, the podcast, where experts share valuable insights, answer questions, and tell some real-world stories that'll get you thinking about how you can tweak your real estate investment strategy to build up revenue, realize higher returns, and retain more profit when you sell. I am your host, Bill Widener, and the webinar to podcast trend continues. This episode is the podcast version of a live virtual discussion recorded on Tuesday, April 19th with Margie Russell, Executive Director of the New York Association of Realty Managers, NIARM, in conjunction with Small Property Owners of New York, SPONY, and the organization's president, Ann Korchak. We welcome our guest, Alexander Lisianis, a member attorney of the Litigation and Appeals Department at the real estate law firm of Rosenberg and Estes. Remember the New York State Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act of 2019? No one thought that would pass. Guess what? It did. And as if that's not enough, now we are dealing with New York Senate Bill 3082, Good Cause Eviction. This time-sensitive discussion is incredibly important to housing, not only in New York City, but the whole state. My hope is that after you listen to this episode, you'll share it with everyone you know who owns or plans on owning any residential real estate, even one-family homes, condos, and co-ops. And then you take action to oppose this draconian legislation, good cause eviction. There are links in the show notes to everything you need to know, including the contact information from Margie and Alex and I. The audio from the event is edited to fit the podcast format. And without further ado, here we go. It's showtime. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Margie Russell, Executive Director of NIARM, the New York Association of Realty Managers. A little something about NIARM. NIARM has been in New York State as an organization that specializes in multifamily and mixed-use housing buildings for 64 years. They originated out of the need from the Mitchell-Lama program when buildings were coming online with thousands and thousands of apartments, where prior to that, most of the people who managed apartment buildings were the extended family of the families that owned them. So there was a need to professionalize uh, and maintain their continuing education. So the New York Association of Realty Managers was formed. Since then, we cater to all forms of multifamily housing and any kind of a building that has a multifamily housing component. Myself, I've been in this industry for 40 years. The first 20 years managing buildings in Manhattan, opening co-ops, opening new condominiums, and for the last 20 years, I've been the executive director of NIARM. About 30 years ago, NIARM did, did get the authorization to have a recognized certification program. All the content that we put out goes directly to certification program. Today, the topic is proposed New York State legislation called Good Cause Eviction. This topic first came to my attention as a, a cause for the, for the apartment building owners in Manhattan, mostly, Spony called it to my attention. First, it will affect housing in New York City. But then as we delve more and more into the topic, it's realized that every single resident 
of New York State will be affected. And I believe it could send New York State into its own little depression uh, because what we're talking about is freezing the housing market. So everything that they're talking about in this so-called good cause eviction is not just for rent-controlled apartment buildings. If you own a private home and you want to rent it out for any reason, a downside of this possible legislation you'll hear about affects every homeowner, any renter. Uh, the housing market is going to be frozen. Renters will have a free reign practically to stay in their apartments, thereby those coming up through the market needing housing cannot get in. There are all sorts of consequences that will come down as a result. You will hear about those consequences and you will hear about the specifics in this legislation. Learning about what's going on in New York State legislation, uh, the assembly, the legislators, how we can get to them. How do we go about combating? We need to let everybody in New York State know it will affect them. With that, I'm going to ask Bill if you could introduce yourself, the company you represent, and if you could introduce yourself and uh, Spony that you represent, Alex, uh, introduce yourself, and Rosenberg and Estes. Bill, I'm handing it over to you. Thank you, Margie. So uh, this is joint between NIARM, New York Association of Realty Managers, and Spony, the Small Property Owners of New York. And so, Anne, tell us a little bit about Spony. Thanks, Bill. Uh, Spony is the Small Property Owners of New York. We were founded in 1984 by a, a group of small property owners who were, at the time, speaking at the annual Rent Guidelines Board hearing for small owners to join together and advocate for the rights of small property owners to continue to be housing providers in New York. And we, since the beginning of COVID, very, very active, uh, reaching out to lawmakers, um, first regarding the eviction moratorium and the cancel rent movement. And very recently, I'd say within the last several months, we've been primarily focused on uh, good cause eviction and you know, reaching out to lawmakers to explain to them the impact that this terrible policy would have on uh, small housing providers. Thank you, Anne. And thank you both Margie and Anne, Spony and Niam for inviting me to moderate this. And we're going to get to Alex in a moment. My name is Bill Widener. I am a licensed real estate broker in New York in the industry for 45 years. I have a podcast called Realty Speak. And then I also do local law 152 compliance. It's a gas, ll152.com for more information on that. But this is not about me. It's about Good cause eviction. And so, Alex, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your firm. And then I want to ask you the first question. Will do, Bill. And, and thank you for moderating. And thank you, Anne. And, and thank you for Margie for inviting me on. My name is Alex Lukianis. I'm a partner at Rosenberg and Estes. We are the largest real estate law firm in New York City. I've been doing this for over 20 years. Uh, and, I, and I practice in residential, commercial, real estate litigation, landlord, tenant, and, and other types of, of litigation in the state, city, and federal courts. I've been very deeply immersed in this good cause eviction debate. I testified uh, at a Senate hearing on this bill in early January. Uh, also submitted written testimony to the New York Senate and have been writing about it and speaking to uh, forums like this. I, I don't think Margie was... Uh, overstating things when she uh, um, 
you know, recited some of the some of the effects of, of, of this potential law. And uh, I look forward to discussing it here over the next hour. So there's a real push to get this passed by a lot of uh, tenant advocate groups and also people in the New York State Senate and Assembly that support this in a very, very big way. And this has been around for a while. This is not something that just happened. A matter of fact, I understand that this was originally going to be part of the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act of 2019, but thankfully that didn't happen. So it's at least three years that we have been trying to get this to be tabled for good. And I guess the most recent time that we were able to avoid having it pass was the budget. So here we are now between the budget and the end of the legislative session in New York, which will be the beginning of June. And this is the uh, the final stretch of them maybe being able to get this passed. What, what do we need to do, Alex, to keep this from being passed and maybe talk a little bit about the two big points, which is the eviction aspect and also the rent increase aspect, that is what will be such a detriment, as Margie said, to the real estate and housing industry. And when I say real estate and housing industry, I'm not talking about landlords. I'm talking about tenants, because this is really not going to be good for tenants. And maybe one of the things we want to point out is that if you tell somebody you can only raise the price a certain amount, and if you don't do it today, you're not going to be able to do it tomorrow. What is that person going to do? They're going to raise the price that certain amount, whereas they might have not raised the price if there was going to be no restriction on it. So with that said, Alex, be my guest. So Bill, you asked uh, a few questions there, so I'll take them in turn. Some people may not really know or have a uh, in-depth idea of what good cause eviction is or what what the proposal is. So I'll just try to give you a very thumbnail version of what it is and what it does. In New York City, you can put all rental housing into two buckets. There's rent stabilized slash rent controlled in one bucket, and then you have free market apartments in the other bucket. People who are on this call who have who own rent stabilized apartments and rent controlled apartments, you know the deal. You know how frustrating it is. You know how uh, all the rules, and especially after things were tightened uh, in 2019 with the HSTPA. But for the most part, the HSTPA did not affect free market housing stock. So even after the HSTPA, uh, you were if you had a free market apartment, you were still able to freely agree with the tenant uh, about what the rent would be and otherwise uh, what the terms of the tenancy would be. Uh, as set forth in a lease or other rental agreement that the parties signed. But what good cause eviction wants to do or what the what the proposal aims to do is to essentially impose what I would call a very severe or draconian rent control system on what are currently free market apartments. So what the result would be is that there would, between rent stabilized and good cause eviction, <laughs> Uh, applicable apartments, there would be essentially no more free market apartments in New York State. In terms of what the bill does, essentially allows tenants that are in possession now to stay in possession forever until they feel like they want to leave. Right now, if you have a free market apartment, if you have a one-year lease or a two-year lease or whatever the length of the term of the lease is, 
At the end of that lease, the tenant has to leave. And if the tenant doesn't leave, he or she is a holdover tenant and you can bring an eviction proceeding. What, is a, what does a holdover mean? A holdover means that the term of the tenancy is over. So if you sign a one-year lease, January 1st, 2022, and the lease expires December 31st, 2022, that means that January 1st, 2023, the tenant has to be out. And if they're not out, what is the holdover part of it? The holdover is if the tenant remains in possession of the apartment after the lease expires. So when essentially they're holding it over the end of the lease? That is correct. So why is this possible now with good cause eviction, if it were to pass, for that tenant to continue to stay, for that tenant to be entitled to a lease renewal, whether the property owner wanted to or not? Because uh, the bill specifically says that there are only a few bases on which you can seek to evict a tenant. And it explicitly says that the expiration of a lease is not one of those bases. To use my example of a tenant who signed the lease on January 1st of 22 and uh, expires at the end of December and is a holdover on January 1st of 23, if this doesn't pass, you can take that tenant to court and you can evict that person. However, if good cause passes, you cannot use the expiration of the lease as a basis to evict that person. If that person pays the rent, doesn't start breaking walls, doesn't start attacking people, doesn't do anything that causes a, a, a nuisance and otherwise pays the rent, then that person, if that person wants to stay for 75 years, they can stay and there's nothing you can do about it. So once I rented a house on a lake up in Lake Mayo Pack, and I rented it from October to May, And it specifically said in the agreement that I had with the property owner that I had to be out by May 15th because they wanted that lake house back for the summertime to have all the grandkids over. And I begged them to let me stay there for the summer because it was such a great place. But they said, you got to go. And so I went. Now, if good cause eviction existed, I could have said, you know what? I'm not going. Bill, if, if you were in possession and good cause eviction passed, you could say to the owner of that property, sorry, buddy, this is my lake house for the summer and next summer and the summer after that and the summer after that. I could still be there. You, you, Bill, you, you, know, you, you, you could have you had a beautiful lake house if only you knew. But, but that's, that's, what the, that's the really pernicious thing that this bill does is it essentially flips the roles of landlord and tenant. So that's interesting because I rented there. I did not own the property. I did not have the deed to the property. This was a second home for a family that lived in Florida during the winter and then came back and wanted to enjoy the summer with their children, their grandchildren, and something like good cause eviction could have taken that right away. That's exactly right. They'd have to stay in Florida or or do something else, or, or, or buy a house in another state without such a draconian law. Bill? Yeah? We have a hand up, Andrew Gross from Ogden. Andrew, go ahead. Alex, can you also delve into this a little bit? Even before it gets to a holdover, right now, a you know free market um, landlord with sufficient notice, uh, depending on how long the residence in the apartment, um, whether it's 30, 60, or 90 days, Landlord has the right to 
essentially send a notice to the resident indicating that they're not renewing the lease. And, uh, and you don't have to give cause. How would that change with a, uh, you know, with a good cause eviction bill that passes? Uh, as I read this bill, it would override that provision. Um, because when you, the, the legislature is presumed, not to get too technical, but when the legislature passes, passes something, it's presumed to know what's already, it's already passed. And so what this would do is it would, it would override that law because it specifically says that the, uh, the expiration of a lease is not a basis to bring a holdover proceeding. So Andrew could go ahead and send that 60, 90 day notice that, and I'm sure he's done this many, many times. And then the tenant says, okay, I got to go. And they go when they're supposed to go. And now because of good cause eviction, if it passed, they would just be able to stay and he would not be able to initiate a holdover. Correct. I mean, obviously they would have to still be paying the rent. And I guess not paying the rent is one of the provisions for which you can evict somebody. It is, but but this kind of leads into the next big problem with this bill. And I've spoken to a lot of groups about it, spoken to a lot of people about it. There is a misconception. And you know what? Before I get into the misconception, I'll go into what the bill actually says. What the bill actually says is that one of the bases for good cause is that the tenant is not paying the rent, which is you know straightforward. It's the first good cause basis in the bill. But what it also says is that it can't be the result of a rent increase that is unreasonable. And what's interesting is the bill, in that particular sentence, there's a period. So if the, if the owner raises the rent by whatever amount it could be, it could be a dollar, it could be $100, $1,000. If a court ultimately says that that rent increase was unreasonable, the tenant cannot be evicted for not paying it. There is no dollar amount. And this is the important thing that I want people to understand. There is no dollar amount. There is no safe haven by which you can raise the rent in this bill. What the bill does say, okay, is if you raise it above 3% or above one and a half times the CPI, it is presumptively unreasonable. What does that mean? That means, let's just say, for example, the, the, the roof, you know, the roof of your building leaks or has to be replaced, or there's some other, you know, the boiler, some other big issue requires a big expenditure, and you have to raise all the tenants 12%. But one of the tenants doesn't pay, you bring that tenant to court, they say that's unreasonable because it's above the threshold. You can come back and you can say, well. I had to do it because the boiler broke and it cost X amount and I had to pass on that cost to the tenants. To you and me and everybody on this call, that might seem like a very reasonable response to an unforeseen expense. But ultimately, whether that rent increase is permissible is up to the judge. It's not up to, to you or me or anyone. So you're putting everything in the hands of the judge. On the other, on the other hand, okay, if the rent increase is 1%, let's say there's a $2,000 a month rent and you raise the rent $20, the tenant doesn't pay it. The tenant can still go to court and say, well, that's unreasonable. I shouldn't have to, to be, I shouldn't be evicted for not paying the $20 extra. Most times, most courts will say, well, that's 
that is not an unreasonable rent increase. But everybody has to understand that if this passes in its current form, anytime there's a rent increase, there could be an issue or there could be a risk that a judge could could uh, disallow that rent increase because the judge believes it's unreasonable. And that's, again, it's such a pernicious aspect of this law. And, and really, the only way to avoid that would be for rents to just stay where they currently are forever. It's not a hard rent cap like the Rent Guidelines Board increases for stabilized apartments. But but again, it, it's really something that I think is purposeful and it's meant to keep the rents to their as close as possible to their current level. Alex, there were a couple extra questions in the chat. Joey said, what about the tenant being a nuisance? One of the other good cause bases is that it, the tenant is a nuisance. But new being a nuisance is a uh, it's not something that's open and shut. It's not like a lease expiration holdover. Bringing a nuisance holdover proceeding is, you know, that's very time intensive. That's very fact intensive. You have to hire a lawyer. You have to have witnesses. You have to do discovery. It's it's not it's a time intensive process. And that's the common that's the common thread for for all the various bases uh, of good cause. I mean, I I can go through I can go through the rest of them if the tenant is is violating the law, if, you know, for example, if they're dealing drugs. Another interesting aspect is if the 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 apartment is being used in violation of law, such as by an Airbnb, uh, your short-term rental. But in that case, it's only if the town or the locality issues a vacate order. If the town doesn't issue a vacate order, you don't have a basis to evict. So what does that mean? That means that if, if you have a tenant who is renting out the apartment nightly on Airbnb, but New York City or whoever the local town is, doesn't direct the tenant to vacate the apartment, then there is nothing you can do about it. So the bottom line is in any one of these supposed good cause eviction bases, the owner has to hire an attorney and most likely is going to be involved in very expensive litigation to try to get the tenant out. And that is going to tend to simply make the owner throw up his or her hands and just say, I'm better off just letting the tenant stay. Well, it seems like the common thread here is that this good cause eviction bill, if it passed, would create a very litigious environment in what should just be an agreement and a free market between a landlord and a tenant. And I don't want to belabor that point, so I'm going to ask the next question that's coming from the chat. Uh, Rocia Sanz talks about succession rights. We know that we have succession rights in rent stabilization law where uh, somebody can succeed uh, can succeed uh, an existing tenant if they've lived there a certain amount of time and have a specific relationship with them. What would be succession rights in good cause eviction for free market apartments? Well, Rocia, that's, uh, first of all, hello. Nice to, nice to see you here again. Um, the, that's a very good question. It's not something, succession is not something that is explicitly in the bill. I guess you'd have to imply and kind of figure out what the what a court would say. Let's say that there is a tenant, right? And the tenant is, you know, has passed away, but let's say a family member or someone else instead moves in 
and continues to pay the rent so that the good cause basis doesn't exist. I mean, it would ultimately be up to a court to to determine that. Um, So I I don't have a clear answer for you. But uh, I mean, given that the intent of this bill is to basically hold everyone in place, as long as the new tenant comes in and is paying rent and isn't causing a nuisance and isn't, isn't doing anything that would otherwise be a basis to evict, I could see courts allowing that new tenant to stay in. Jim G has his hand up. Jim, if you could ask your question. Sure. Jim Goldstick from Charles H. Greenfield. Hello, everybody. And thank you for organizing this. Does the uh, pending law differentiate between a rental building tenant and an individual owner in a co-op or a condo who may be renting their individual apartment? Either they go on a sabbatical or they go to care temporarily and they want to come back to their home. Does the law differentiate those two scenarios, one a rental building where it's rent stabilized or fair market versus a co-op or condo building? And the second question is on the heels of the June 2019 rent law changes where there is a pending lawsuit, which hopes to prove that those laws were unconstitutional. Has there been any discussion of the same for this good cause eviction of potentially being unconstitutional? Both of those are very good questions and very interesting and thought-provoking questions. I'll take your second question first. I actually, in my testimony to the Senate, both written and oral, I raised that constitutionality issue. And and, and I, I don't believe it's constitutional. Uh, in the first instance, as, as many of you on the call might know, last year there was a Supreme Court case called Cedar Point, which is p- part and parcel of, of the Supreme Court's effort, I think, to really restore property rights to their proper role in our federal constitutional system. What the Supreme Court said there was that uh, there was a California law that allowed labor organizers to enter farms for three hours per day and 120 days per year without having to pay compensation to the owner. And the Supreme Court held that that law was unconstitutional taking of private property. So the logical inference would be if compelling someone access to your property for three hours a day, 120 days per year is a taking, well, then certainly compelling someone to be in 24-7-365 for an indeterminate period into the future is also an unconstitutional taking. And in addition, I think there's a very good argument that it would violate the contracts clause of the U.S. Constitution because it would it would abrogate contracts. You would have, you know, let's say a one-year lease, and then all of a sudden the New York legislature would would turn that one-year lease into a 70-year lease. And then, you know, maybe that person's errors can go in as well. I go into this and I can certainly provide copies of my testimony by email to anyone who's interested. Um, it's, it's on the New York Senate website as well. And, you know, please feel free to reach out to me. I can, you know, we, we can talk more about it. I can provide you the written testimony as well. As far as your first question about condos and co-ops, again, that's very, very interesting that a lot of people have asked about. Uh, at, at the Senate testimony, uh, Senator Salazar, who is the sponsor and other senators, took great pains to say that the bill was supposedly not intended to apply to condos and co-ops. But if you actually read the language of the bill and you read the definitions, I don't see anything that excludes condos and co-ops from the bill's reach. 
and, and, and that kind of just speaks to a larger problem with the bill, which is that you, you hear advocates and they, they talk about their feelings and they talk about general ideas, but whatever their general ideas are, it doesn't matter when you have a, a bill that has specific text that has specific words. And so as I read the bill, it applies to condos and co-ops and it limits owners of condos and co-ops. The same limitations apply to them as to rental buildings. And as far as someone who wants to leave temporarily to to care for an ailing relative or otherwise for a short-term reason, put someone in place temporarily for six months or a year or whatever, that tenant does not have to leave. I don't want to say it's poorly worded because that would imply that they didn't intend to to do what they're doing. This kind of dovetails with one of the next comment I see here from Howie is good cause eviction a means to another end. If you talk to, or if you listen to anyone, and, and I know Anne has opinions on this because Anne deals with a lot, Anne and Spony deal with a lot of legislators, the Salazars, the Senator Brisports, the senators and assembly people who are really vociferously in favor of this bill and again, I don't want to offend anyone here on the basis of politics, but they are avowed socialists. They do not believe in the concept of private property. They don't believe that anyone on this call should be able to own rental housing. It should all be owned by the government, or at the very least, it should be owned by uh, a relatively small number of very large politically controlled or politically controllable conglomerates who can do the bidding whatever the good cause eviction sponsors want to do. And that really goes into what Margie said earlier, which is that we've really got to fight this uh, tooth and nail if we want to preserve the, the very concept of private property ownership in New York State. Quick little break here, Realty Speak fans, to take a moment to share with you that I love that you choose to listen and learn from Realty Speak. And now, with that in mind, I have added a resource page to the RealtySpeak.com website. Designed with you in mind, it's organized with labeled sections that you can click on to reveal a list of professionals, organizations, and companies in that category that you may rely on to help you, the investment property owner. It is a work in progress, but there are already many resources there that you can benefit from. And the first thing you'll want to do is go to the first category, Property Owner Advocate Organizations. There you will find links to RSA, CHIP, and SPONY, and instructions on how to receive their incredibly informative periodic emails that will keep you in the loop with everything you need to know as an investment property operator. Check it out at realtyspeak.myc. It is resources on the menu, and I added a link in the show notes of this episode as well. My mission, be the best real estate advisor, consultant, and broker I can be while helping you sell, purchase, and finance investment real estate. I'm just a phone call away, 917-232-8529. What else can I say? Solutions in real estate, it's in my DNA. And now back to the show. Margie, does anyone else have their hands up? Anne does. Okay, Anne, go ahead. That this would be a good chance to follow up with what Alex just said. 
the people that are on this call know what Spony is doing in an effort to fight good cause eviction. I did put a link in the chat, which will allow you to notify your lawmaker, you know, wherever you live and vote, that you oppose this bill. And we hope that those of you that are on here would do that. Also, I think important that you share that with friends and family, anybody in the industry that you're dealing with, vendors, plumbers, electricians, and their livelihood is very much connected to the success of you know, what we are all doing. As Alex said, we've had many, many calls with a lot of lawmakers, some of whom are supportive of property rights and don't like the direction that they see from some of the super progressive lawmakers that are pushing good cause eviction. But as Alex said, there are groups out there, not just lawmakers, I mean, people in the public who just don't believe that housing is an honorable way to earn a living. And they don't want to see housing operating the way it has been in New York for decades and decades. So it's super important that those of us that are in the industry, because our numbers are much smaller than uh, the tenants, our input does have some impact on lawmakers. They, they want to know the reality of what we're facing. And following the link that I put in that chat is really like a first step. And I'd ask you all to do that today. Thanks. Bill, may I add one more comment to Anne's uh, comment? Go ahead, Rocio. Apparently, you can do this once every 24 hours. You can write, keep writing and keep writing every day and have all your family members do the same thing at least once a day because the more the merrier. Thank you. And thank you, Rocio, for that. And when and when you're doing this, you're doing it to the elected officials that are part of your district. But if you want to, you can also reach out to the sponsors of the bill, which, as Alex mentioned, are... Julia Salazar is the main sponsor in the Senate. The main assembly sponsor, uh, her name escapes is, me at the moment. Uh, Pamela, Pamela Hunter. From Syracuse. Correct. So if they're the main sponsors of the bill in the Assembly and Senate, and you reach out to them in addition to the elected officials that are part of your district, that could also have an impact? What do you think? I, I agree with you, Bill. You should, everybody should reach out to, to everyone. But to be very frank, ideologues who are pushing this bill, it's most likely going to fall on deaf ears. Depending on where people on this call live, one of the things that I found very notable when I gave Senate testimony and I observed some of the uh, questions from some of the other uh, senators, uh, I mean, there's, you know, there's a Democratic supermajority in the legislature right now. But what I noticed was that several of the Democratic uh, senators, not from New York City and not part of the very left-wing, very socialist block, they didn't seem to be very on board with, with this. And, and, and why, why is that? They kept mentioning the idea that this bill would depress property values of, of, of rental properties. And what, and what does that mean? That means lower tax assessments. And that means less tax revenue to fund schools, police, fire, and other local services for their local towns um, and, and counties. So if you're on this call and you're, and you're I mean, even if you're in, in, in New York City, definitely reach out to your elected representatives. But especially if you are in an upstate or a Long Island or a Westchester County area and your local state senator or, or assembly person, especially if, the, if they're Democratic, because the Democrats have enough in the legislature to rise and fall with their votes. So especially if you have a Democratic representative in the, in the, New, York, in the New York State Assembly or a senator, 
you've got to really lean on them. Okay. And you have to tell them with by email, mail, in person, telephone, every single way you can. You've got to lean on them that this is going to be bad for New York State, bad for local tax revenue, and it's going to contribute to depressing the New York economy. So if you ever speak to local elected representatives, they often simply go by the, the, the motto that the, the old motto that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And if you're allowed, and you're a real squeaky wheel, they'll have more of a tendency to listen to you. I've had local representatives literally say to me, if we don't hear anything, we assume there's no issue. So if you just sit back and say, oh, this sucks, and you know, you go back to playing Wordle or whatever, then you know, this is really going to negatively affect you. So you've got, so unfortunately, we're not in Florida, we're not in Texas, we're in New York State. And therefore, that means that we have to be loud to make our voices heard. And some of the uh, legislators that may be on the fence, this is just the thing that might get them to come to the correct side of the fence. And we all know what the correct side of the fence is. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, there were a couple other questions, uh, two that might be a little related. Maria had a question and uh, Karen had a question. So Maria says, why uh, the co-op carve out from the 2019 HSTPA when a shareholder sublets to a third party, they create a landlord tenant relationship. They go to court to enforce the free market lease between them and the subleasee, uh, sub lessee, yet they are permitted to collect more than uh, oh, one month security and more than one month's rent. Okay, so what Maria is asking is um, for some reason, and it's, it's a little off topic, but maybe you have the answer to this. Uh, apparently, uh, a co-op can collect more than uh, the one month uh as opposed to uh, uh in HSTPA a uh a condo or a co-op can I I guess any rental agreement you can only collect one month security. Yeah, I mean typically the HSTPA limited it to one month. Um but but this is a, this actually kind of goes with what I was saying earlier. In this particular case the you know the condo co-op industry rose up and 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 made sure that this was in ensconced in law that you could do this, whereas in good cause, you have assurances from the bill sponsor that, oh, it doesn't apply to condos and co-ops when it plainly does. So, um, Maria so, so, actually has her real hand up. Go ahead, yeah. Maria. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I totally agree with you, Alex, on that. And I, all I own are three, three condos. And for years, I've rented them out as free market rents. It's supply and demand. When things are good, you get better rents. When they're not, the rent goes down. But I do want to say before you use the word pernicious, and I don't know what is more pernicious than the applicability of the 2019 law to condos, free market rents, because I used to collect first month, last month, and one month security. And I'm going to tell you, every tenant I've had since 2019 has walked out on the on the lease in the last month has and has destroyed the apartment. And these are lux three luxury condos that I own. So pernicious, yes, the 2019 law perniciously affected condos. And I'm hoping that you can be an advocate for that position as well. Maria, I'm doing I'm doing my best, and I know you are. <laughs> and and thank you know, you. I'm, I'm glad. I'm and thank you for thank you for your comment. You and everyone else on this call 
you know, it's important that we all get together and we talk about these things. Boney's been so great on this between Anne, between I saw I saw Joanna Wong in the in the comment section. She's been fantastic. And Jimmy and, and Chris and everybody else at Spony. Um, sorry if I didn't mention you, uh, but you know, you you're in there as well. Uh, anybody else who I didn't mention from Spony, but they've really done a great job at, at getting into legislators' ears. And 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 so between that and between everyone, everyone here, your individual efforts as well. Uh, it's it's really really important because uh, silence is essentially compliance, and you know like there's you know a say you know there's there's a meme you know that you see on the internet sometimes that you know that says do not comply, do not comply with this, do not sit back, do not be quiet. Thank you, Alicus Margie Russell. I have um, a question. If you could go through the process that this would roll through New York State, so first we were sitting on the edge of the budget. Is it some way somehow going to be included in the budget? If you could address that. But then after that, uh, is it the Senate or the Assembly? Where do we fight first? Yes, we want to use a shotgun here, but uh, you know, where do we fight first? Right. You want to aim it correctly. So in terms of the budget, there were a bunch of housing issues that a lot of the advocates on either side wanted included or not included. Among those were good cause eviction. Uh, among them also were the, the extension of the 421A program, uh, housing access vouchers, and a number of other issues, a number of other bills were not included. Um, you know, as anyone who followed the budget knew, they were more focused on the Buffalo Bills stadium, boondoggle that that is, bail reform and various other issues. Housing did not really appear to be a, a focus during the budget negotiations. Now that that's behind us, uh, as Bill mentioned earlier, there's, you know, you have from now until the end of the legislative session in June. So if you read some of the some of the stories out there, in the next couple of months are, are housing is going to be one of the main focuses. And the industry wants the extension of 421A. Both landlords and tenants want housing access vouchers, and the tenants want good cause eviction. So the natural inclination, well, I won't say it's a natural inclination. Some on the on the tenant advocate side uh, are putting out the idea that, well, you know, maybe we'll trade good cause eviction or some aspect of good cause eviction for the extension of 421A. Now, I don't think that makes a lot of logical sense because the whole point of having 421A is that you have some portion of protected or uh, you know low-income apartments, but those are subsidized by the free market by what what are ultimately going to be free market apartments after the expiration of of, of the stabilization of the non-low-income apartments. So I don't think it makes a lot of sense to trade the two to trade off one issue against the other or uh, because they're just they're just incompatible. Um, whether in all the horse trading that's going to go on, uh, the governor is going to feel compelled to throw some kind of bone to the tenant activists because maybe she needs their vote on something. Maybe um, I can't I can't tell you in advance. I don't have a crystal ball. Um, my my personal belief is that Governor Hochul is not a huge fan of of good cause. She hasn't mentioned it. And the Senate Majority Leader has also stated that the bill will not pass in its current form. 
Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know if it's just a slightly altered form, a, a, you know, a, a very altered form, just some parts will be, I don't know what that means. So for the time being, we have to assume that the whole bill is, is a live bill. It could be passed. Between now and June, I can't predict to you what course trading is going to go on and, and to what extent passing some portion of good cause is going to be seen as essential to getting through a larger package of housing bills. And you mentioned in its current form, which yes, we have heard, we don't want this in any form, zero form, right? Zero. So so really, I think that's the approach that everyone has to take, the perspective that everyone has to take. We, We don't want to negotiate a different form. We just don't want it, period. It needs to be tabled and they need to move on to filling that gap between what tenants need and what landlords need and, and both of them truly need. And that gap uh, is really defined by a lack of affordability. And that's what they should be focusing on, not not things like this. The one easy fix to that is is both sides. They want the, the housing access vouchers, which is kind of like a would be kind of like a state level section eight. And there there is kind of there is broad agreement from from what I've seen on both sides. That would be an easy win for the legislature. But you look, you know, some of the good cause sponsors, they're not interested in easy wins. They're more interested in, sh- in shoving things down the throat of uh, unwilling New York state residents. So again, we have to see how it all plays out. And hopefully, uh, like you said, there's we don't want this at all. And hopefully there won't be any horse trading of, you know, with some parts of it. As I mentioned before, Karen asked in the chat a question, would subletters be protected by good cause eviction against the leasing tenant or landlord? One of the exceptions where good cause does not apply is if the premises are sublet under Section 226B of the Real Property Law or otherwise, where the sublessor seeks in good faith to recover possession of such housing accommodation for his or her own personal use and occupancy. And if you're a tenant, right, and you've subleased to someone for a short period of time, good cause eviction, this statute doesn't apply. So if you in good faith want to want to get back into possession, you can. You are allowed to if you're the tenant. Contrast that with, and I think we talked about this earlier, if you're a condo owner, let's say, and if you're the owner of the condo, and then you put someone in for a short period of time, and you want to go back in, you're not a sub lessor. So if you're the owner and you want to go back in, the person doesn't have to get out. But if you're the sub lessor and you want to get back in, you can get back in, which again, it just shows another bias in favor of the tenant. So it's extending a right to the tenant that's not even the right of the owner. Right. It's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. This flips the script. It gives tenants virtually all the rights of ownership without the responsibilities, and it leaves all of the burdens of ownership on the landlord with virtually none of the benefits. And then Joey had another question about a non-paying tenant. Is there any leniency on the tenant for not paying as an aspect of good cause eviction? Let's say if there's leniency, meaning that if the tenant can't pay or if there's some kind of tenant loses their job or something like that. I mean, one of the very limited things that this bill still does is it still recognizes that if there is a rent that's due, you have to pay the rent. So let's just say you lose your job or your circumstances change and you can't pay the rent. That is still a basis by which the owner can still recover possession. 
where the problem comes is when you want to raise the rent. Any rent increase could be seen as unreasonable, and especially if the rent increase is above 3% or one and a half times the CPI. Well, this has been fantastic. Uh, if anybody has another question, they want to put it in the chat, or if they want to raise their hand and Margie will let me know, uh, th- then you can ask that question. But we are getting close to the end of our time. And Alex, if you wanted to summarize, w- what are the three most important things that people can do today? The three most important things you can do today, numbers one, two, and three are you know, whether you do it through, whether you do it by joining Spony or by another real estate organization, get involved, advocate, speak to representatives, join Spony's calls when they, uh, when they announce forums with various elected representatives, join into those Zooms, ask questions. And then outside of those Zooms, call uh, the uh, legislators' field offices, call their Albany offices, email them, write them, confront them in public, do whatever you have to do. To, to get their attention and to have them hear your concerns. You're not going to convince an, an ideologue like Senator Salazar, Senator Brisport, some of these, some of the other senators. The, your best effect is going to be going for those uh, assembly people, senators who are on the fence, who could go either way, who don't really feel too strongly. And Uh, If they see the path of least resistance as opposing this, that's what they're going to do. And I I saw someone put in the chat here, but someone said, does this matter? What if I don't live in New York City? What if I live outside of New York City? Uh, What if I live in Long Island or if I live somewhere else in New York State? That's actually even more important because someone who lives or somewhere else where there aren't a lot of where where there aren't a lot of rental tenants they're not really going to be attuned to this issue. They might not care very much, but if they're part of the democratic majority and they're getting leaned on to, to vote for this, um, they, you, you, you really want to make it so that it's uncomfortable for them to, to vote for this bill. And you can only do that by being loud. And Joanna put in the chat again, everyone, please take 10 seconds to reach out to your lawmaker and put a hyperlink click on that it'll bring you right to a place where you put in your information it automatically figures out who your legislators are and then there's the body to 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 the message that you can also edit if you would like to uh but you can just leave it the way it is and that is going and and like rocio said you can do that every 24 hours so you can do it over and over and over again so if you just go to hfaany.com Homeowners for an Affordable New York. That's the acronym for it. Uh, and if you just do dot com slash take action, it'll bring you right to the take action page. And that's where you'll be able to take action so that these legislators, especially the ones that are on the fence on the Democratic side that could vote against this bill, will hear that this is something their constituents do not want. Um, Bill, can I add? Yeah, and of course. So everyone's aware we are in a primary cycle in New York State. Every uh, senator and assemblyman just have a two-year term. So when we hold a primary at the end of June to settle all the, the candidates that will run for office in November. So this is a perfect time to start paying attention, you know, in your own districts, who's running, um, you know, who would you like to support? There are lots of good candidates out there, but there's also a lot of candidates out there that are very much in line with lawmakers that support 
legislation, like good cause eviction. There's a few other crazy ideas out there. TOPA, Tenant Opportunity to Purchase Act, which means um, a building owner would have to offer to the tenants in the building the right to buy the building first before you put it out on the market. Um, I can't imagine how that would you know, just bring to a grinding halt the way buildings are sold in New York. And the loss of the, the flip tax, which is an incredibly uh, big piece of the revenue, especially in New York City's budget. The list of crazy legislation is, is, is very long, but we need lawmakers that will be you know, more pragmatic and reasonable. And, and this is the time to find those and, and support them. And come up with solutions that help everybody. And Margie has her hand up. Go ahead, Margie. Charlie Bellamy, who's a building manager with Anton Avenue Properties. She has a question. And this will be the last question of the day. Shirley, I see your question in the chat. It says, what if the family member is a son or daughter and has been living in the apartment all their lives, but that person's name is not on the lease? Are they entitled to succession rights? The bill doesn't speak directly to succession rights. If this were to be enacted and this situation were to come up down the road, it's something that a court would have to decide. But given the overall purpose of the bill, which is to basically freeze tenants in place forever. Uh, As long as that uh, individual who's been living in the apartment for his or her whole life continues to pay the rent, doesn't cause a nuisance, and continues to just quietly live there, my guess is that the courts would, would interpret the law to allow that tenant to stay. But again, that's just my guess. It's not something that's directly addressed in the bill and, uh, it's, it's one of the questions that would ultimately have to be answered by a judge. Thank you, Alexander from Rosenberg and Estes. Thank you, Anne, the president of Spony, the Small Property Owners of New York. And thank you, Bill Weidner uh, from Keep My Gas and uh, your professional podcast. If you want to just take 30 seconds and explain how we're going to turn this not just from into a video from NIARM, but it will then be converted and pared down into a podcast. And with that, you'll have the last word. All right. Thank you very much, Margie. So the podcast is Realty Speak, not Reality Speak, because we know there's no reality in real estate. It's Realty Speak. And if you Google Realty Speak, it'll come up. Trust me. That podcast now has 42 episodes. What I've been doing with Margie and Margie has been doing with me is we've been doing some of these webinars. And then I take that audio and I format it for a podcast, uh, and uh, then you can just listen to it instead of having to watch it. But if you want to watch it, you'll be able to do that on Margie's YouTube channel. She sends out links so that you're able to watch them. And Realty Speak is a is a good podcast because it has a lot of strategies around the ownership of investment property. So while we're talking about good cause eviction today, you may want to scroll through the episodes and see uh, if any of them apply to things that you want to know about. And always feel free to reach out to me. Uh, and my email address is bill at billwidener.com. That's bill at B-I-L-L-W-E-I-D-N-E-R.com. And with that, I'd like to say thank you to Margie and Ann for inviting us today. Thank you for everybody who helped in the chat. Alex, that was a great presentation, and you answered the questions very, very effectively. And let's make good cause conviction be something that is not. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Bill. Everyone. Thank you, Ann. Thank you, everyone. Yes, thank you, Margie. Appreciate thank you, you inviting us back. And Margie, most importantly. You're thank welcome. you, Margie.
Well, there you have it. Everyone, thank you for listening. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of Realty Speak, the podcast. Please subscribe. You can do so on the website. Just go to the podcast page on the website, and there's an opt-in toward the top of the page on the right. Or easily subscribe and listen to Realty Speak on your favorite podcast app, like Podcast Republic, my fave, on Android devices, or Apple Podcasts for an iPhone. Go to the app, search Realty Speak, find it, open it, Hit subscribe and you're in. Spotify? Yep, Realty Speak is there as well. And please help Realty Speak grow by sharing the show with others. From the website player, just click share and choose your preferred social media platform and spread the word. Or to share from your podcast app, hit the share icon, choose your preferred method, and send. And of course, if you'd like to talk about purchasing, selling, financing investment real estate access past episodes or just chat you can contact me directly via the website at billwidener.com that's b-i-l-l-w-e-i-d-n-e-r.com and remember it's not about us but how we help you make the bottom line rise until next time